Hey, it's Matt Weston with Battle Red Blog, and of course, the podcast you're listening to, Battle Red Radio. This is a two-part podcast with Kenneth L. discussing the Houston Texans 2019 draft class. In part one, we talked about Titus Howard, Lonnie Johnson Jr., and Max Sharping. In part two, we talked about Kali Waring, Charles Amenahum, Xavier Crawford, and Colin Gillespie. Make sure to listen to part one if you haven't listened to already, and of course, rate, review, give the podcast five stars. Let's start the show. We're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number So the next player Houston selected was Kahali Waring, the Hawaiian, the tie down San Diego State. The former, uh, I heard, I, so I listened to Mark Vandermeer say it. They said Kahali or Kahali because I think it's Kahali Waring. I was called Kahale. The Kahale. Yeah, that's what I've been calling forever. But I think it's Kahali. And I'm trying to do better about actually knowing what these people's names are, you know. I don't. I don't think you ever need to worry about his name. He's a player that like, is not ever going to exist. <laughs> well, it's kind of. Like I'll read books and like I'll learn these words, but I never actually hear them. And so I think I call instead of saying like acquiescence, I said acquiescence for you know years or whatever until I actually heard the word in a movie or something new it sound like. So I'm trying to do better at it. It's a. It's it's part of the you know, transformation process. But so Warren was selected in the third round. He had zero catches last year. He played zero games. Uh, he was expected to join a crowd tight end group of Darren Fowler, Jordan Thomas, and Jordan Aikens. So, Kenneth, why do they have a lost rookie season? Is he just too hot and too much of a chad for Bill O'Brien? Bro, I think he is just too cool. Uh, I think he's too cool for the sport. Um, so, I will, I've said it probably about in every single article I've ever written. I've said it live. I've said it a thousand times. The Texans did not want to draft Kahale Waring, however you say his name. Wherever the H is in that name, it, it's, it is where it is. Um, they wanted to draft Jalen Ferguson. Uh, he was their guy. They brought him in four separate times. They, they went to the Senior Bowl to watch him play. They brought him in for like a, uh, like a private workout. They went to his school. Um, that was their guy that they wanted to draft. And the Baltimore Ravens drafted him the, the pick right before. And so they were dumbfounded. They did not know what they wanted to do. And they just took the number one guy they had on the board and took Warring, and it made no sense, and he never played. And I don't think he'll ever play. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I really liked Warring watching him, like watching his video after they selected him. Like, I think he's a guy who could block and pass catch. He can also really attack the middle of the field vertically. Like, Darren Fells doesn't necessarily do that. Darren Fells just like sits in between two guys and boxes out, makes quick catches. Fells is also a really bad run blocker too. And there's like that repass option and like all their counter and dart and power play statement Fells became like just exhausting and unusable after a while too. Um, so I, I am really disappointed that Warring didn't play. I don't think Warring's really ever going to play in Houston, but I think Warring could have a good career eventually. I just don't think like Bill O'Brien necessarily really likes him. And like I know he had injuries before the season started and that whole sort of thing, but if they wanted to use him, they could have brought him on this year. And instead, it was you know Aiken, some, and you know Thomas played a little bit too, but it was mainly just Darren Fells all the time, every time this year. 
Like, yeah, I get the idea that you want to bring in players that are like, you just want to have the best athletes on the field. Like, give me the 11 best athletes and let's go, like, roll the ball out there and let's go play ball. But, like, he, you know, it's all about being healthy. Like, I don't care, like, if you can run a 40 faster than me. If you're hurt, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, so I'm actually looking through his NFL combine, like, and, like, everything that they wrote about him. They compared him to Todd Heap, which is a super impressive comparison. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a potential Hall of Famer. And that's like a the, 94 in Madden 2004 right there. Yeah, I mean, the, his strengths, the first word on his strength is chiseled. Like, any player that is chiseled is going to be pretty set up to be good. Um, you know, I'm seeing words nifty, um, plays the ball in the air. Like, this guy has attributes, but if none of those were seen on the field, um, I think he might be one of those these ghost draft picks that we have. He, he'll fall under, like, the Sam Montgomery of the group. Yeah, I think the difference is that I could see Warring actually, you know, like playing, contributing somewhere. I like Montgomery just being kind of like aloof and weird and never doing anything. Because I, I do like Warring still as a prospect. It just, I don't know, it's just weird this organization where there's certain guys that Bill O'Brien just does and doesn't like. And it just always kind of felt like that with Warring. Um, because again, like he wasn't, I'm sure he could have played sometime last year if they actually needed him. So we had a listener question from Song 20 underscore again. And Kathy asks, what is Warring's role in this offense moving forward? And then another question from Texans underscore thoughts. Was his redshirt season a sign Bob already lost faith in him? Or will he find a way to contribute in a crowd tied in room? So kind of like, I guess you're not expecting anything from him going forward. Uh, and I think, and also, do you think the the tight ends right now, like I know Fels is a free agent, but with Thomas and Aikens already there too, do you think that also complicates Warren's ability to have an impact for this team in 2020? I, I, I'll answer the second question first. I don't think he makes the roster. Um, I think he gets traded for like a sixth or seventh round draft pick, um, like during the draft. Um, something kind of aggressive that the Texans do to get him off the books and like bring someone else new to, into the fold. Um, after the year and all the touchdowns that Fells had, I can see Deshaun Watson pandering to have Darren Fells. Um, just another guy who can like be the right place at the right time. Watson loves those type of guys. Um, I mean, that's why you kind of saw like Delonta Foreman play and get like his rookie season because he was kind of like always in the right spot. And, you know, that also being in the right spot happens when you're, you know, on the practice field and like you're healthy. And I, that just hasn't been the case for Warring so far. Um, I, if he stays on the team, he will be one of those kind of like trick, not like trick plays, but he'll be kind of brought into like as an X factor. Like we very matchup oriented. Like we, we really want to exploit this player on the defense. We set them up with Warring and then, like, kind of let, like, the cards fold how they will. Um, he, he's got what you want in a tight end in terms of, like, the intangibles. Like, he's he's a big guy. I mean, 6'5", as a, as a tight end, you can't really ask for much more. But it's just all about being available, being healthy, and then, you know, making the team. I don't think he makes the team this, off, this season. Yeah, I mean, I think if he does play, the one thing, one way he can really help the team. I mean, I don't think he's going to also make the team either just because again, it just doesn't seem like he's a Bill O'Brien sort of guy and O'Brien doesn't particularly like him. Uh, also, it's amazing to be, you know, 6'6", 250 and have like a 10-pack like he does. I don't know. Hopefully, I don't know how he does it. 
But uh, with him, I think the one thing he could really help with this offense is by stretching the field down the stretching the middle of the field. The Texans really didn't run a lot of seam routes or attack defenses and safeties like that. Whenever they did, it was like Will Fuller running a deep corner route to pull a safety or whatever to open stuff underneath. But like Aikens didn't attack that way. Fells doesn't have a lot of speed to attack that way. But I think Warren can do a really good job running, uh, you know, running seams or running posts and corners off of that to create like you know twenty five yard catches. And I think that's a really important part of the field that the Texans' offense just really didn't exploit throughout this entire season. Everything was sideline, and it was also a lot of like quick, cute little passes to DeAndre Hopkins to create first downs that made him a less efficient player in 2019 as well. So, I mean, I do think there's a, a valuable portion for him. And I also don't think the blocking from Fells or Akins or Thomas is really all that great to begin with, too. I think Warren could even be a better blocker than those three. But, uh, you know, it's just, I don't, I think he's not going to play, not because of a talent issue. I think it's just because of this, like, weird, you know, Bill O'Brien thing that's going on. Yeah, like, I'm looking at the, the He's kind of he is kind of those Chad type of guys. Like I just don't think he'll fit in with this locker room. I don't think he fits in with what O'Brien's looking for a guy. Um, I don't know anything about his intelligence, but it all comes. It's it's going to be probably one of the most interesting off seasons to to watch him. Like this will be such a great storyline. Like to see if he can actually be a guy. Um, if Jordan Thomas is still unhealthy, that is a wearing meal ticket. Um, the more it, the more that those guys can't play, the better a chance he has. Which isn't saying anything that he actually is talented or not. Mm-hmm. So the the next pick, I don't have anything else to say about Warring at all. But in the fifth round, the Texans have a fourth round pick, but they have a fifth round pick, and I I can't remember at all where their fourth round pick went. Um, I don't know. Fourth round pick was part of the, like all the trade stuff. Yeah, I don't know which individual guy it went for though, because they it wasn't for it wasn't the Stills trade. It was something that had to happen in nineteen. I really have no idea. Oh my gosh, I'm thinking I'm blanking too. I'll, I'll, I'll I can look this up pretty quick. Yeah, I have no clue. Maybe it was for like Johnson Bademosi or something. But in the the Texans have a fourth round pick, but in the fifth round they selected Charles Amenahu the defensive from the University of Texas. Omenahu who had 13 tackles, two tackles for a loss, two passes defense, five quarterback hits, and three sacks. And I alluded to this earlier, but whenever I watch Omenahu, I didn't really like him as a pass rusher, but that was because I was very myopic. And I looked at Omenahu as a like as a typical edge rusher, a guy who rushes as a five technique against outside shoulder offensive tackle and is like a speed or rip and edge rushing guy. And he isn't that all whatsoever. And that's not what his strong suit is. But what his strong suit was this past season was as an interior pass rusher, as a four, as a three technique, as a guy who only played, you know, 20, 25 snaps a game, all mainly on pass rushing downs, and was able to use his length and his strength and his bull rush to be able, and also his ability as a stunner to be able to create probably the most consistent pass rush they had in the interior because Watt mainly rushed from the exterior throughout the season. And so I think he was a very big surprise for me. And it was just because of my own short-sightedness as well, too, and I watched him last year. So despite all, all this I said, were you surprised by how much of a pass rush he provided in 2019? Because I was. Yeah. Oh, I also figured it out. So the, the we gave the fourth-round pick away. Do you, have, do you have one more guess? I have no idea. Demarius Thomas. Oh, okay. There we go. That makes sense. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah, it caught me off. Um, so for Charles Mindy, like I w- went to Texas, 
was able to watch him live. Like I have always enjoyed his game. I didn't think he was that great. So I was really curious when I saw him get drafted for the Texans. Like, where are we going to put him? He's like a good defensive athlete. Like, that's just the best way to describe it. And him being able to kind of put together a lot of the pass rush was such a godsend for this team because we, you know, no Jadavion Clowney, J.J. Watt out, and Whitney Morseless can only pass can only pass rush when those two guys are on the field. You know, he really was kind of able to provide that spark that we needed. It definitely surprised me. Um, it, it probably is one of those situations where he just kind of had to fit to the situation rather than like this is what his skill set actually is. Yeah, I can I can see that. I just I do think his skill set is where they used him last year and it was the best thing for him. I think a good example of that too, before the season started, uh Seth Payne was on the podcast and he kinda of talked about how defensive linemen in preseason look awesome because they play seven snaps and they're just bull rushing over and over again. And they have they're not tired at all because they only play a few snaps and that sort of thing. And I think that's what Charles was last year. He only played twenty snaps. He didn't have to worry about being tired or exhausted. And even come in fresh and bull rush against these tired guards and was able to provide big spark as an interior rusher. And, you know, Reader was a good interior rusher until after the Chargers game or until after the Falcons game. And then he disappeared completely too. And, uh, and so like it, the Texans needed to find interior rusher. And it seemed like they did with those two through five weeks, but both, the, but Reader disappeared completely. And a man who kind of lost some stuff too, as he had to play more and more defensive in the run game as well. But, I think not having a tier rusher was almost not a disaster because of what those two guys did, but it kind of they kind of lost him as the year progressed too. Yeah, it was one of those times where like he, when the when he had to play a lot, he wasn't as great. When he only had to shine in a couple moments, he actually played really well. And so it kind of like gives you an understanding of where he is in his talent. Like he has the skills, um, and it, I don't think it's like a him being in shape. It's more that I just don't think he's talented enough to kind of be like an every down guy he's going to be one of those you he's on the roster he plays on third downs and he can kind of like kind of sub in sub out he'll play special teams um and that that kind of is like what a bill o'brien guy really is Mm -hmm. Uh, i think he's exciting to see what he can do moving forward Mm -hmm. i think he's the anti-angelo blackson where you don't want him on rundowns at all you want him on pass down specifically Whereas Blackson, you don't want him at all whenever there's a, a even a possible threat of a passing attack. And I think one of the problems <laughs> that, that just doesn't move. Yeah, he just runs headfirst into a wall. Uh but that is AFC special teams player of the month, Angela Blackson, though, that we're that we're uh talking down to right now. Oh yeah. But, big fist. <laughs> the hand of God. But Omenehu, the one problem I think that he has, or the biggest problem I think he has is you know, aside from the speed stuff and the edge rushing stuff, I don't think he's ever going to be a real pure edge rusher. But in the run game, he doesn't recognize run keys very well. And teams just, I mean, they destroyed him last year with trap and power plays where they were able to pull at him and ear hold a lot and then create really open rush lanes against him specifically. He was just late at recognizing those plays. And so for him to be anything more than like a third down interior pass rusher, he's going to have to do a better job at just recognizing run plays and be able to play the ball better in those situations. And I, I mean, I really don't care at all for him to do that. I think he's perfect being used in this facet. And I think if, you know, him being like an every down player, I think it's important for him, maybe as far as a contract goes, but I think about him, like where he can excel the most. I think exactly how Houston used him last year is the best way to use him moving forward. 
Yeah, I mean, the Eagles won a Super Bowl with a bunch of linemen who could, were basic or defensive linemen that were just one-trick ponies. They, they were really good at one thing, and they'd do that on the field. Then they'd leave, and then they'd bring in a guy for the right situation, and he'd do that one thing, and then he'd leave. And so, you know, you have to put him in a position where he's going to succeed. And, you know, run blocking, he's not big enough, he's not strong enough, and he was not able to process it fast enough this year. So it's it's only a matter of time where he kind of like learns those skills, but I think he needs to just continue to be good as like the the sub in interior pass rusher on like third and fifteen, and you know you can see him shine, and that will also take some pressure off of JJ Watt and whoever we bring into the draft this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And we had a listener question from Why Song Twenty, and he asked, "What's your?" Had a lot of questions. Yeah, and never listened to the podcast before, and so I'm excited to to send the link. But he asked, uh, "What should Omanehu work on to become a future star and good pass rusher?" And I think he's a fine passer right now, fine pass rusher. But I think the one thing that he can do is develop a really good inside move instead of just you know bull rushing and long arming that sort of thing. And I think if he can learn a swim move and just hang out with JJ Watt, uh, the swim move that Watt taught to Clowney, I think he'd teach the same something similar to Charles as well too. Where if he can get an inside move and just use that long arm and get over the te- get over the guard's head uh, as a counter rush to everything else he does, I think he could become like a like a good interior rusher and like a really good interior rusher. You know, is what you know six sacks or so and you know fifteen quarterback hits. And I think he could he could do that after how much he's already uh, done so far in his career. You think he should train with Aaron Donald with knives? That works out too. I but I heard the knives are fake. They were a show. And they weren't real oh, nice, which was sad. I hope so. That would be so dumb. Um, <laughs> I think for Omanahu, he's got to learn how to pair his hands and his feet. Um, I, I think it's less about learning how to do like the moves than learn how to just like being able to disengage from like the defensive lineman while moving your feet. So being able to gain ground and push the pocket while at the same time creating separation between himself and the defensive lineman. And so that's kind of how like that that next step needs to go is is more like okay he can swim around him but it's more just getting the raw skills of hey I just need to get some room and then we can work from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would work out as well too. Uh, and I mean his arms are so long too that's easy for him to create space and even just like making contact first I think would be very helpful for him. It's gonna be hard you know rushing from that position just because it's so easy to be effective with different you know hands and everything else, but. And they can give him a lot of like three watt, like you know, four eye rushes, and on the like in between a guard and tackle with you know Y out there, and maybe even merciless. Uh, I think that will also really help him out too. Yeah, I mean, if he has six sack seasons for the rest of his rookie contract, I don't think anyone would ever complain about drafting him. For sure, I think he was a great fifth round pick, and I again, I was very surprised by his production. Yeah, I was looking at like the other fifth round picks, and I really don't like. I know a couple of the names, um, but there really wasn't anyone else that kind of stuck out around where he was. I mean, like I know Mac Wilson was there, and there was a couple like offensive linemen, but he was kind of like I think he really had one of the best years out of like the line the the fifth round picks around the around where he was drafted. Yeah, I think the only guy who I think you compared to him would be Dre Greenlaw in San Francisco. He was one of the better coverage linebackers last year. And filled in really well for Quan Alexander, but yeah, I mean everybody else here in the fifth round really isn't, uh, you know. Them, I mean Darius Slayton had a really great year though too. So I think Renfro had a good year. Yeah, yeah, I think those four guys are probably the best fifth round picks though. 
and he was kind of a member of that. And he had a, he did have a really good year um, this past this past season in his rookie year. And I'm excited to see what he does going forward, if, especially if they can continue continue to use him how they have. So the next pick in the sixth round, the, the Texans selected Xavier Crawford, who already is on the roster. He was kind of October. Cool. He played for Miami and Chicago. Uh, so how long until he ends up playing for the Seattle Dragons or the Dallas Renegades or the, I don't know, the San Antonio Defenders? Is the Canadian League still a thing? Is that still around? Yeah, they still have it. That's never going to go away. Send them up to Canada. Yeah, that'll work out I as well, actually, too. <laughs> I actually remember like hearing a couple of things on like the Reddit streams and, and things from Twitter where he so the Texans signed a rookie free agent that went undrafted, and that uh, that went to the same school as Xavier Crawford, and that guy was actually outplaying Crawford throughout the entire uh, like the uh, off season. Hmm. So maybe they drafted the wrong guy from Central Michigan. I mean, obviously neither of the two made the team. But, like, imagine being, like, a draft pick and then getting outplayed by someone on your own, like, the same position at all from the same school. Yeah, especially not being drafted as well, too. And I think this is another guy who was selected just because of size. You know, like, Crawford's tall, but he was slow. And, you know, maybe in a defense that's more, you know, zone turning or something, he could do something going forward. But he just seems like a guy that's selected because of athletic traits, not because of him being particularly good at anything at all whatsoever. No, yeah, they wanted him, they picked him purely as like, okay, we don't really know what's going to happen at the slot. Like, um, who was the guy that we took in free agency that had three names? Um, oh. Gar, something. Ooh. He didn't make the team. We cut him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't remember, but he was like this guy's backup. Um, Xavier Crawford was 100% meant to be a slot receiver, a slot corner. Just never developed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean it's a sixth round. And you kind of never know. The whole point of sixth round picks, though, is to have a couple of them, and they're just scratch off tickets. You know that cost a dollar that you buy whenever you have some change in your pocket after you've bought like you know bang of two bananas or something. Um, yeah, so, lottery shot. Yeah. So the last pick was Colin Gillespie, and I've never seen somebody that Texans fans. You know, like I've never seen somebody like as who's played as little as he has, and for Texans fans just to completely love him. He was selected in the seventh round to play fullback and also special teams. He didn't play that much fullback. He played less than you twenty know, percent of the team's offensive snaps, but he played more than sixty percent of their special team snaps. And this was the year of the fullback in two thousand nineteen in the NFL. There was a resurgence of the position with you know Kyle Uzcheck almost catching two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. Um, yeah. You know, C.J. Ham had a great year. Dude, Derek Watt made the Pro Bowl. Uh, the Ravens' fullback is awesome. The uh, I think it's Ricard. He also plays defensive tackle too. The Patriots' power run scheme fell apart without James Devlin as well. And so, even though it was the year of the fullback, and the Texans have used the fullback before he tried to. It seemed like Jalaspia could have had more of an impact offensively. You know, he had that really big block on. Watson's zone replay against Buffalo in the division round two. And he's also a better run blocker than Darren Fells is as well. So do you wish that uh, he played more offense in 2019? Do you expect him playing more offense in the future? I I think 20% is a really good number for him. Um, you know, we I really like when this offense goes five wide. And going five wide with mm-hmm. Colin Gillespie it does not sound like a really good option. 
Um, the Patriots so will do it sometimes. The Patriots will the actually Patriots go five live with Devlin, yeah. which is hilarious. <laughs> I actually do remember they, they do that. They did that against the Titans, and they covered him up with like a defensive lineman. They put like a like a like a nine technique defensive like outside linebacker on him, and just like as you know, if you're going to throw away a player, we're also going to throw away a player. <laughs> um, and so, I I I can see Bill O'Brien doing that. Um, but I think like he him being in the offense, being a part of the system, um, you know, he basically all he did was those Ryan Griffin blocks where he would start from one side of the line and just go block the the weak side of the other side. Um, so he did his job. I love him out on special teams. You know, a guy that can kind of just take up one extra, take up several roster spots by just kind of like playing every single play on special teams. You have to have a couple of those glue guys in the rock locker room. I don't think they have selected another player who is more of a Bill O'Brien type of guy than Gillespie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, he played, I'm looking at it here. I know he played a few more snaps in the postseason. But he played only 13 offensive snaps last year. But he played 64% of the team's special team snaps. And Texans had a top five special teams last year. And they've done a really great job the past two seasons after it being one that continued from, you know, Bismol. from you know, the beginning of the decade with Kubiak and Marciano, where it was always bottom, bottom five. Uh, they done, they've done a really good job at finding players who only play special teams like, you know, Mingo, like Crossin, uh, like even Bade mostly before, even though he's not on the roster anymore. Uh, but finding, Tywan, Tywan Jones. Yeah, Tywan Jones is another great example. But just like guys who want to play special teams, and that was him this past season. Um, Why well, Song had the same question. You know, do you want to see more lead blocking of him in this offense? And I, I mean, I personally do. I think if you're going to run that, you know, that trap play and that dart play or counter, however you want to call it, whenever they pull Fells to the linebacker, I'd rather see Jalaspi run it because he can actually make blocks and clear out linebackers. And he made more blocks in the run game than I think Fellas did all season in those 13 snaps that he had. And so I think the potential is here for him to be something more than that. The question is going to be if like he can seep out to the flat and make one guy miss and uh, you pick up some receiving yards too. But even then, who really cares? If he can be a, a good lead blocker and kind of do a lot of things that Fellas does, I think it will help this offense next year because you know, the Texans do love to run the ball so much. Oh yeah, hell yeah! I would love to see it, especially like okay, if we're gonna go left to left to right with what our twenty twenty offensive line is gonna look like: Laramie Tunsil, Max Sharping at left guard, Nick Martin at center. You're gonna have Zach Fulton most likely at right guard, and then Titus Howard at right tackle. That is not a run blocking offensive line. That's more it's more geared towards pass blocking. Mm-hmm. So if you can have a player on the field dedicated to moving the off moving the defensive line, hitting one of those linebackers and helping out that offensive line, that will do wonders for the run game. Um, you know, it doesn't really take much for us. We're gonna get a thousand yards. Like, there's going to be a thousand yard running back on the team almost at all times, just the way that Bill O'Brien suffocates the offense by running the ball. But having that tight end bring someone in who can block, I think that's such a huge attribute that this offense can use. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And I mean, I think for me, more than the offensive line, it goes back, which is a good point. I do think it's the offensive line better, super pass block than run blocking. But I think, and also the way they use them too. But I think just how bad Fells was in the run game. Um, with all those little, those cute little plays they use with them pulling, and just having somebody could do more than that in a Gillespie, I think would you make a really big impact too next season. 
Uh, and so I do think that he can do more things and just play special teams. And I personally hate the pick in the seventh round because it's like it's a lottery ticket. You can just sign him after the draft ends because he's from Texas. He'll probably wouldn't go there anyways. And uh, they use a draft pick on him. And I think it's it, it definitely has worked out better than I thought it was going to. Yeah, it was kind of like a head scratch. Like, why don't we take a position that we do have like a weakness in? You know, like we did for like Julian Davenport, where like he was just a huge app person that like had no skills whatsoever, but like you know we could use him, and then he played a little bit. And hey, like, he was, I he was a, I think, a fourth round pick. He had some skills. Yeah, I still. Oh, he was. He was. He was a compensatory fourth. He was like a. He was a late, late fourth. And he he was pretty good in Miami last year too. He's definitely left tackle and. Uh, I would love to see Davenport. I think Davenport may start there again next year too. I was heartbroken when he broke his leg in practice. Oh, I was so over Davenport. I didn't think he had any other skills to make to play in the NFL. Surprising. I mean, good for him to to take over for Laramie Tunsil. I mean, the guy is huge. I just didn't think he fit. Like, I didn't think he was an NFL caliber guy. I mean, his uh, his rookie year was definitely better than his second year because the whole right tackle thing really kind of screwed him up and. For him, right, it, it was just ball. it was just getting stronger, and he was making good one versus one blocks, and was competent, you know, protecting for you know Taylor Heineke and stuff too, and that right tackle switch in eighteen was just so unbelievably stupid. But I uh, I think he's better than every single person in the world to give him credit for, and I'll keep saying this until the day I die. Yeah, I, you're defending him with your life, and I, I, I just can't. I, I didn't think much of him. Like, when he was here, I didn't see him at Miami, so I didn't really know. I don't really know how he played, but, I mean, it's good to hear. Good for him. Like, I didn't think he had too much. Like, his hands were so abysmal when he was here. Um, but it, it, to, to finish off with Gillespie, I think it was an interesting decision to draft him. I think they just want to lock him in. Who knows how the seventh round works? <laughs> but ultimately... I, it, I think it's like if we if we have to give the the draft a grade, like how would you round out like the first year? Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask you too. Like what I would, I mean, I guess they got you know two potential starters in Howard and Sharping, and then nothing else has really worked out at all. Pat, well, no minute who worked out, but um, so because of that, and like if you have to grade kind of a scale, I guess I would give it like a C plus or a B minus for now, um. And I think more of it has to do with the fact that I think Howard and Sharping were fine. They weren't like great or revolutionary. They were fine players. They were better than options than you know, Sancho Henderson and Calamente, for example. But they weren't like you know, really spectacular at all. Um, so I would give it, you know, I guess a C plus in this case. Is there anywhere where you can find like okay, how many plays did each team's rookie draft class like participate in? Uh, you can probably, I mean, I guess the best way to do it would probably go to pro football reference and then do approximate value and you can kind of add it all up. Cause it takes into account like, you know, snap counts and, um, and the ability and the performance of the team as well too. I think two best draft classes though, were probably Kansas cities and San Francisco's and so Kansas City took Hardman, Thornhill, Sanders, Fenton and Thompson from two through six and all all those guys had big plays for them throughout last yeah, year, and they all and that's without first round pick because they trade for Frank Clark, and they still had a really great draft just with their two seconds, a third, and two six. The only guy who didn't play for them was Nick Allegretti, their seventh round pick, but they had a really great draft last year. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Uh, that's definitely a Brian Green draft to tell you at the, the very least. Yeah, not having a first round pick and almost making some things stick, but uh, oh, unbelievable. So, what grade would you give? the Texans 2019 draft class? 
you know, I'm going to hold out on hope with Lonnie Johnson as much as I'll riff on him. I, I think the, the Colin Gillespie was a good, it, the, the ceiling with this draft is, you know, it, it, how we can develop Titus Howard. And then if Kahali Wailing can actually play, um, just like just him playing raises the, the grade mm-hmm. right now, I'm stuck at a B minus. Um, I don't think it's bad. I don't think we, you know, tanked early. That would kind of give us like the C grade in my mind. So I think like a B minus, there's a lot of potential, but there's also a lot of easy ways where this this draft class just like eats shit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think at the offensive line, I don't think Sharping or Howard are going to be busted. I think they're going to be consistent stars moving forward. It's just everything else after the fact, you know, like can Omenehu be more than a three sack guy? Uh, Can Waring play at all whatsoever? Will Johnson ever be anything more than, you know, one of the worst cornerbacks in football? Yeah, those are all really valid questions to have. But I do think of the offensive line, they I think both Sharping and Howard can be consistent starters moving forward. Again, I just don't think they had, you know, they weren't super impressive their rookie years, but it's a hard thing to come into playing, you know, two different spots each and coming into kind of like a weird environment for this season. I think next year they'll be even better though. If if I ever was like a draft, you know, a general manager in charge of the draft, the way I would always organize my draft is I'm going to say each year we're just going to focus on one position. We're going to – and these guys will be together. They'll grow up together. Like they'll do everything together. They'll hold hands and go to the shower. But like for the next <laughs> five years, these guys like play together. And so I – great example this year. Like we'll draft Matt Sharping and Titus Howard. And then we have two linemen. They'll run together for the next year. And then the next year, let's draft two corners. And so they kind of play in tandem together. And then and, and you kind of like can guarantee you have two players that can like grow. And like if one does really good, then like you, you are guaranteed with one. But like if one doesn't like succeed, at least you have someone else to fall back on. Uh, it kind of has, obviously has its pros and cons, but that's like how I would approach the draft. Kind of like go big or go home on each position each year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could see that. I guess it kind of depends on <laughs> on what the hopefully that your needs meet. You know what the strings are in the draft at the, in the draft at the exact same time as well too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, everything this year worked out better than I thought it was going to entirely. I think a lot of that has to do with Watson being spectacular. But even the offensive line and both these players' selections, and I guess just also, like at the same time that the context that they were taking in, I think it was, you can make the argument that both these players were bad selections because of the context, just the fact that Howard couldn't play left, Sharpen couldn't play right, they had moved them around, and partly because of that, and the clueless sign leads to the, you know, the first-round picks, the second-round pick, they get traded for, you know, Lemmy Tunsil too, and what's eventually going to be like a, you know, $18 million a year contract for him. And so I understand the argument, but I do think that's kind of, uh, I I would say this, you know, not entirely, I don't think that's correct or truthful. And I think the fact that they got two possible consistent starters in the first two rounds is, uh, is exactly what Atlanta was looking to do. And they used two first round picks to do so. So I, I will like the draft just because of that uh, aspect of it. Wait, but you did give it a C minus though. Yeah, I said a C plus to a B minus. Oh yeah, C C plus. All right, um, I'll give it. Yeah. And if if Johnson was somebody else and wasn't one of the worst cornerbacks last year, um, I would feel a lot. I would probably give it a B plus, but just because how bad. And then also the fact that you know Warren didn't play at all, even though it didn't entirely hurt him though. Uh, so I, I have one uh, last I have one last question for you before we go. And it was a listener question from Julian Maldo eighteen, and he asked the chances that Jacob Martin becomes an every down player. 
And I think this has a lot to do with the article Houston Chronicle put out that Martin's looking to get stronger this season so he can play all three downs. Would you, are you expecting, would you like Martin to do that? Do you think he can do that? Or do you like Martin kind of like how we talked about Amenahu, where he's like great as just like an edge rusher, like a rip guy uh, who just comes in as a sub in sub packages as a pass rusher? He has to. I mean, he, he's the only thing we actually got out of that draft. I mean, out of that trade, he has to become like a, like a every down player. Or, or else we look absolutely ridiculously stupid. I mean, we already do, but like now we have to embrace <laughs> our stupidity. Um, uh, yeah, that's a. I think he has to become like a first, second, and fourth down player. Um, you know, that for me that that I didn't. I wouldn't expect anything less. Yeah, no, I think so too. I think he has to get stronger, and I, I mean, it's not even just like being an every down player, but it's also him as a pass rusher too. Like I think a good model for him is someone like Elvis Dumerville, where if he he has that you know, because of his height, he has the ability to get underneath the guy's pads really well. And so if he generates like enough lower body explosiveness, he could bull rush tackles just because they're going to overset, they're moving back on their heels, and then because of how like tall and quick they're moving, he can use like a, a bull rush to be able to get underneath their pads and drive the quarterback. And a great example of that too is like Von Miller. Miller is one of the best bull rushers in football, and he weighs two hundred fifty five pounds. And it's because of how his speed sets up in that bull rush. So, I mean, I think it's important for him to play three downs. But I think even two, like it's just going to tremendously improve his ability to be more than, you know, rip edge rusher in the pass rush and actually have like an option to do something different than whenever guys get their hands on him. I mean, he may be forced to because, you know, no Jadavion Clowney, J.J. Watt can't play every down. And then, like, okay, who else do we have? Like, Whitney Marcellus? Like, we, he, he, that guy can't stand alone anymore. We've seen that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he might be forced to actually have to play into, like, uh, all these downs. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, too. Um, so, before we end the show tonight, is there anything else that you want to bring up real fast? Or do you have anything else you're just dying to say? Uh, just, can everyone, if you're, in, if you're in Houston, just, like, if you see J.J. Watt, just give him a kiss for me. Congratulate him on his wedding and and tell Deshaun Watson that he's beautiful. That's very sweet. I like that. You see the video of Deshaun Watson pulling up next to some fans in his car and they yeah. just lose their mind. That was very cute. That was very wholesome. I think me, the when I interviewed Deshaun Watson, that was like definitely the highlight of my life. And I, I it has peaked from there and has definitely gone downhill. <laughs> no, every, every, well, I mean, every day is a gift, even though sometimes it's a pair of socks. Um, <laughs> I think for sure I'm going to break this up into two parts. So this is going to be the end of part two, if you're listening and, or of course you're listening. And, uh, and then next week we're going to for sure do um, a Texans off season preview show. And I would like to do a five interesting top or five most interesting teams, just because I want to talk about Miami next week sometime, but that's what to look out forward to for next week. That's the podcast for this week. But in the meantime, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Albert radio. And thank you for being on. Welcome horns.